Welcome to Aging in Full Bloom with Lisa Stockdale, sponsored by Capital Healthcare Network, an Ohio-based, family-owned and operated company providing solutions that help seniors age on their own terms. Those solutions include home care, senior living, nursing home and rehab care, and hospice. Learn more at CapitalHealthCareNetwork.com. Thank you for joining Aging in Full Bloom with Lisa Stockdale. I'm your host, Lisa Stockdale, and today our topic is all around something we're calling, not just us, a lot of people call street medicine. Um, we have a special guest with us on the phone, Laura M. Brock, um, and she works for one of the major hospital systems here in the Central Ohio area, Mount Carmel. And actually, um, do you oversee the street medicine program or tell me what your role is there, Laura? I definitely do not oversee it, even though I might act like it sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. No, I'm, a, I'm a caseworker on the team. So okay. no, we're a very collaborative team. And uh, no, we have an incredible manager. Um, and no, I'm, I'm a caseworker on the team. But yes. And are you a licensed social worker? I'm not. No, I have my bachelor's in sociology and Spanish. So I also interpret for um, our Spanish speaking patients. And yeah, uh, so I joke that I'm a, yeah. yes, I joke that I'm a fake social worker. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I, I went back and got one class in my master's and I thought, you know, I don't know that I can work and get my master's at the same time. I think I'll just settle for being a fake social worker. <laughs> there you go. Well, you're doing important work, even if you are a fake social worker. <laughs> Um, Thank you. Talk to us about what street medicine is, because I'll bet you some listeners don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so first of all, there's an International Street Medicine Institute and program that we are part of. We're a partner of that. And so this is kind of a global um, concept of bringing medicine to people and feeling like people uh, oftentimes have barriers to going to medicine or uh, uh, accessing medical care. And so the concept is to bring medicine to people where they are, no questions asked. Um, so what we do is we provide free medical care, urgent care for vulnerable populations with for folks that have a barrier to health care. Uh, our focus is specifically on uh, those that are unsheltered, uh, so the homeless living in central Ohio. But um, we'll see anyone who has a barrier to health care and um, see a lot of immigrant populations, a lot of folks that are underinsured, um, and then, of course, a lot of folks out and about in the community that are that are uh, living in the in camps and homeless camps around central Ohio. And it's a relatively new, I'll call it a movement. Um, I think it started in the early 90s, if I am remembering correctly, maybe in Pittsburgh. Um, and so it's this idea that care providers will actually go out and meet people where they live or where they sleep mm -hmm. um, and make house calls even if there's no house to call. Right. <laughs> exactly. Talk to me. I'm interested in this terminology unsheltered versus homeless. What What's the thought behind that? Um, you know, unsheltered and on homeless, I mean, we, we say living on the land too. There's different types of of homelessness. Um, some, some people might define themselves as homeless and be kind of couch surfing. So that might be a little more transitional mm. housing to us. Yeah. Um, and in terms of paperwork for housing, there's often that, that terminology that we have to define. Um, for example, uh, you know, on, on housing paperwork for, for federal funding, homeless 
actually has to be living in a place that is not meant for human inhabitation. So couch surfing is, would not be considered that. Um, so that's when we say unsheltered. Makes um, sense. In terms, yes, in terms of someone living not in a shelter, not um, you know under um, a relative's roof, they're actually living in an abandoned house or or on a porch rather, um, in on the sidewalk in a camp in their yeah. car, things like that under a bridge, right? Yes, yeah. exactly. All all of that. I won't say good stuff. All of that stuff, though. Um, right. And so Mount Carmel, kudos to Mount Carmel for getting involved with this and rolling up their sleeves and taking it to the streets, literally. Mm, thank um, you. Yes. How does it work? Um, logistically, yeah, do I, you go out weekly? And how do you find people? Tell me all about it. Yeah. And first, I just want to say that I'm really I feel really fortunate and blessed to be a part of this program because our program has been around for over 30 years. Um, it started kind of with the, the sisters of the Holy Cross, the nuns doing doing door checks and taking medicine out to the street. And so it just feels really um, I feel super blessed to be a part of such a legacy. And Mount Carmel has had such a um, a focus and an importance put on bringing medica- medical care to everyone, that it is a right and not a privilege to have medical care. Um, so really thankful to be a part of that and to have such incredible backing from the organization and from our foundation. Um, and, and, it, and it says a lot. It says a lot for the organization to understand healthcare mm-hmm. as a right and not a privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, and then not just to talk about it, but to be about it. So yes. again, I can understand. And obviously you were well in, well in front of the movement, <laughs> mm. um, as they say. Um, and yeah. that's not surprising it doesn't surprise me that it started with sisters either but anyhow (laughs) go ahead how how does it actually work the program so we kind of do two different I call it kind of two different models of healthcare. So we do a clinic setting, which is actually where I am right now where we partner with a local organization that already has high traffic of um of folks coming for a specific service. So we're either at a shelter or a food feeding site or some sort of community partner like that Mm -hmm. um, that hosts us. And we bring a clinic. We we call it having clinic. And we set up right on the spot. We have a coach that has two exam rooms and a little pharmacy on board. We can do everything an urgent care can do, but we can bring it to the site. Um, So we have nurses, nurse practitioner, a psych nurse practitioner that can see them, case managers like myself, to kind of attend to the social care needs that our patients may present with. Um, And so kind of trying to be a one-stop shop with the clinic setting. And then our other model um, is, we call it street medicine, which is a little confusing because really our whole program is, but this is actual street medicine where our providers go out with typically a paramedic or the nurses go out with each other, or I might go out with our patient advocate or our community paramedic, and we're taking care to homeless camps. We're going in pairs into camps, um, meeting people out and about on the on the streets um, and doing medical care or social care need right there um, and helping to reconnect people. So a lot of our folks are people that might have fallen through the cracks or um, for for whatever barrier have not been able to do their follow-up care. Um, and so we're kind of, we're trying to 
reconnect them to that follow-up care, reconnect them to their primary care if they have one, um, and of course, meeting that acute medical need or social care need that's in front of us. So those are kind of the two different models that I would say that we do. We did do um, telehealth during covid it was not our favorite thing. We'd much rather see our patients in per in person, um, but we did uh, kind of adjust when we when we had temporarily paused our clinics. We did move to telehealth and and touching base with patients that way and doing it over the phone. Um, Laura, but, I'm going to ask the obvious question because I can sort yeah. of hear my listeners wanting to ask this question: sure. Isn't that dangerous to do? Oh, to do street medicine uh-huh. or tele- <laughs> the street, not the telemed. I don't care about that. That's past us. The street medicine isn't the street medicine piece of it. I mean, aren't you putting yourself in harm's way? You know, and that's why we're we're very we're very safety conscious. We're going in pairs. We know where we're going. Typically, we've had a referral. We have a relationship with um, the community, and I think. In a lot of ways, our reputation precedes us in that there is there is incredible trust between our team and Mount Carmel Outreach and um, folks that are living on the land. Um, so can I say that there's zero risk? No, but I will say that these are our neighbors. These are our community members who have incredible needs and know that we are there to help. And if we sense, um, I think our team is really good at de-escalation. I think our team is really good at sniffing out a situation and for like, you know, this doesn't feel like a good, a good day. Um, you know, we're there in teams to say, let's, let's back out of here. Um, so I, I think, I, I think, you know, we have a protection around us, a God's protection around us, and also just the reputation and the, the rapport that we have with clients makes it an, a, a, a safe endeavor that we're doing. Um, I'm, I, don't, I don't think there's been any incident that I can think of, of a safety concern that has gotten out of control, you know, I'm that I sure can remember. I'm sure you don't think of yourself this way, but if I could give you angel wings, I would. I mean, it, it's, it's so brave and it, it's, mm. it's so needed and it's so human what you're doing. Um, you know, and I say, I mean, I, I really feel personally, this is a personal level, but I feel like I was created to do this. And so I just, I've told our director, I can't believe I get paid to do this. I would do this <laughs> for free, you know? And he's like, wait, are you serious? And I'm like, wait, 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 no, I, I, I still enjoy, you know, being able to pay my bills, but I, tr- I truly feel like, I truly feel like it's a calling and I yeah. feel so fortunate to work with the people on my team that feel that same way and have such compassionate spirits towards people. Right. Um, because, um, you know, it, and it's such a privilege, it's such a privilege to, to get to do this, um, you know, and it, and it can be hard exhausting some days because you see such desperate situations and such heartache. Um, but when you get to, when you get to build that trust and build that relationship and see someone grow and see someone make it to their medical appointment or see someone go from a camp to, to housing and help them take that next step in life. I mean, there's nothing, there's no better way I can think to spend my time. No better way. (laughs) 
Uh, so I feel really blessed to um, get to do this job. <laughs> yeah, but you still want that paycheck to be deposited. I mean, just so I there's mean, no questions. <laughs> it's a huge bonus. It's a huge yeah. bonus, but yeah. it goes so deep. It so, goes so much deeper than that, you know. I it's mean, a it's, calling. Yeah, it is. It's a hundred percent a calling. And you know, when I studied sociology and Spanish, people are like, "What are you going to do with that?" And I'm like, "I don't know. I just really want to help people and speak Spanish." And like how good is God that I get to do that? <laughs> yes, indeed, indeed. And and our community benefits from it um, in all kinds of ways. Now, I'm interested, you talk about camps, um, and so you know where they are. Mm-hmm. Okay. And yes. how many people, like an average camp is what? Is it five or 10 people? Is it 20 or 30? Yeah, and you know, it's funny. I I didn't realize until I was talking to a group of people that, when people picture homeless camps, they picture like refugee camps, like huge, spread out, mass amount of people. And uh-huh. I'm like, oh, no, 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 not not in Columbus, because, um, you know, the goal typically of, of folks that are living um, unsheltered is to be off the radar. They don't want anyone coming to bother them. They don't they don't want to raise havoc so that their camp might have to move if it if it gets enough attention from, you know, the city or if it's causing any sort of public health concern. Um, so uh, typically camps are very small and more like two to three people in a, in a site. Okay. Um, some, some folks are camping alone as well. That's, that's pretty common as well. Um, and then if a camp does get too big and too, I mean, I don't want to say out of control, but, you know, it's noticeable, noticeable, exactly. Then a lot of times that ends up um, being a a reason why the camp gets kind of split up because then, you know, they're usually on someone's property or, you know, (laughs) and and that's and they're not supposed to be there. So um, it's it's really kind of the the art of subtlety is key in in being homeless. And that's where I'm just so. the resilience and the creativity of our, of our patients and the survival skills. Um, you know, and I say this to my patients all the time, like, I I honestly don't know that I could do it. I I don't know that I could, I don't know that I'm as strong as you to be able to do it. Um, so I think, you know, incredible obstacles, incredible barriers, and yet, um, incredible perseverance in the midst of that is something we see often. Well, that's a different perspective than I think um, the average Joe um, would look at it because most people Mm. look at the homeless and think that they're weak and that Mm. they're lost. And you're looking Mm. at them and thinking, oh, my goodness, you're strong and resilient and amazing and creative. Um, Oh, absolutely. Can you talk to us about how it is that people become homeless? Yeah, I think... Um, I think like anything, everyone has their own, their own story and, uh, own set of circumstances that leads them to that. Um, we see a lot of, um, challenges with mental health, um, that might end up closing certain doors for, for folks, um, getting, you know, getting them at odds with their family. Um, we see a lot of addiction, a lot of struggle with the disease of addiction um, and just a difficulty in getting out of that. Um, and also, uh, it is incredibly, I mean, the housing market, it's no secret to anyone who's either looking to buy or even looking to rent that the housing market is pretty insane right now. So you take someone who is disabled and getting SSI $794 a month or whatever the, the I think that's the 
the max right now. And it's like, how, how do you live off of that? Where can, where can you find an apartment that will rent to you when your income is SSI? I, I would love, I would love suggestions on that because I have so many folks in that, that situation. And um, it's just incredibly difficult. Yes. I imagine that's where some of our elders fall. Mm, absolutely. Into that category. And of course we want all people, we don't want anyone to be unsheltered or homeless or what, however you choose to think about it. But there are unique challenges to older people mm, um, when they find themselves homeless. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah. And actually, um, there was a dispatch article, gosh, it was a few years ago now that I, I was a part of and talking about um, senior homelessness and just what that looks like, because there is this point in time when your income significantly drops, <laughs> um, you go on social security. And if there's not, if, if you're already just kind of surviving, that point makes it incredibly difficult. Um, and, you know, I just had a lovely patient come in who is looking for senior housing because, you know, her, her, she's no longer able to stay where she is. The landlord is, is, uh, turning her units into other types of units. So she's, that's, that's a dead end road. And, you know, people are having to work longer and longer. Um, so she actually brought in her pay stubs to show me, you know, um, but if you're not making three times the rent, uh, a lot of landlords say, I would like three times the rent. So if I'm charging you $800, I want you to have $2,400 in, uh, in monthly income. <laughs> Bring home pay, right? Bring home. Yes. Yeah. Net, not gross. And so, you know, there's just, there's incredible challenges, um, for people in any stage of life, but, you know, especially I think, uh, it breaks my heart to see someone, um, at that age, struggling and not knowing if not knowing where they're going to live next month, you know, looking at what is December going to look like for me? Um, you know, and, 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 you know, with shelters, thankfully, you know, overflow is opening up because it's getting cold out. So thankfully there's an option there, but man, it's, it's quite a culture shock. <laughs> if you think about, um, for parents sure. and grandparents age, that's, that's a difficult system to enter into, especially if you've never asked for help. I can't tell you the number of people like I've never asked for help in my entire life. I never expected to be here. So it could happen to any one of us that we find ourselves in a, in a inst housing instability. And it gets, I think it's really frightening for, um, for seniors to have to navigate, um, public benefits, navigate, navigate the um, bureaucracy of paperwork and things like that. It can be very overwhelming. Yeah. And um, you think about um, someone who's trying to manage multiple medications mm -hmm. and you're on a, some kind of schedule uh, or you break your glasses and you're homeless. I mean, mm -hmm. just basic things. Where, now what? You know, right. if you can't see two feet in front of your face or if you, you don't, you're trying to take your medicine on time, but maybe you don't know what time it is. Right. Um, th there's just all kinds of things that go into it. Um, and it should not be where our seniors end up is unsheltered. So, and you know, I, I did a, I participated in a poverty simulation once and it was like, here's a scenario. What would you do? And, in all, and, and, my big takeaway from that is in all of those scenarios, I was like, I would call this person or I would rely on this person. Mm -hmm. And as you age, your community gets smaller. <laughs> 
if you don't have children to take care of you, to transport you to to appointments, to help you take your medication, um, to mow your grass or whatever the case may be. I mean, if you don't have children that are active in your life, your community is getting smaller as you age. And I think that's really challenging. I mean, that's challenging for anyone uh, to, to, to have community, but especially if you need assistance at any given point, um, you know, community is hugely important. Yeah. And the harsh reality is, and we know this isn't true for all seniors or all elders, but, but we meet people in healthcare and both of us are in healthcare. Um, all the time, who have outlived their resources, they've outlived mm-hmm. their money, maybe they've outlived the people who love them. As you say, their circle has gotten awfully small. And what about them? Mm-hmm. So that's why this kind of work is so very important. Not only are you um, your case manager, so it isn't just about the street medicine and the actual acute care or the urgent care that you're providing or the medication management or whatever it is, but mm-hmm. you're being a resource to people and helping them get housing when it's possible and understanding the, what's available in our community and um, mm-hmm. where to go for what. Well, I mean, it, it's, it's getting cold here in Central yes. Ohio, and it's about to get colder. So the shelters you mentioned are opening mm-hmm. to, to help offset that. So am I to assume in August the shelters aren't open at night? How does that work? No, so the shelters are open year-round. Um, however, they do have capacity. Now, when so when they hit capacity, there might be a wait list. There might be call back at this time and see if everybody showed up for their reservation. Um, but when it, when the temperature gets to a certain point, we are fortunate to have what's called overflow, where okay. they um, where they still allow people to come in even though they're at capacity, um, which is a which is a big strain on the shelter system. But I'm really thankful that you know ours does that because that's the right thing to do. It's the humane thing to do so that no one has to sleep outside when it's f- literally freezing outside. Um, so that's that's what I mean when you know I just just before I got on this call, got a woman into overflow sheltered. I'm like, Oh good. Overflow is open. It's, it's November. Cause it, it, it's getting chilly out there, you know, and especially in the evenings, um, we want folks to not be outside exposed to the elements exposed to potential frostbite, things mm-hmm. like that. This is a stupid example, but I remember it's been several years ago, my car broke down out in the middle of nowhere and it was frigid. It was below zero. And I waited about three hours on um, the tow truck. It was not a happy experience. Um, I had, you know, I mean, I was, I was, I thought I was going to freeze to death. Mm-hmm. And it was three mm-hmm. hours. So um, it's a brutal reality that, that people this are is where, facing. Yes. And this is where I, I go back to, this is the strength of, of folks, you know, I mean, we have some people that, uh, for whatever reason, whether it be trauma in their past or their uh, mental illness, choose to not go into shelter because they can't handle it. They know it's not going to be a good situation for them. And so when I think about, you know, I'm with you. If, I, if I'm in my car and my hands are hurting because it's so cold out, we had a winter like that recently where I, my hands literally hurt because they were so cold and I forgot my gloves. And I thought, wow. I have patients. I have patients that are surviving this 
and it breaks my heart and I hate it. But, you know, this is where I look and go, this is incredible strength that people have um, to the will to live and the will to survive um, because it's, it's not easy. It's, it's, it's not. Laura, what, what can we do? Give us some, give us some ideas. What can we do to help the homeless population? We as the general public. You know, and I get asked so many times, what do I do when I pull up to someone and they're flying a sign? And they're, that's what we call it. And they're, you know, they have their cardboard sign out, you know, anything helps, God bless. You know, what, what, what do I do? What do you do? And my number one answer to this is look them in the eye, <laughs> say hello, ask them what their name is. Uh, I just think, I think human dignity and, and sometimes I have granola bars in my car. Sometimes I don't, but either way, I just try to show this is a population that's so often overlooked and looked past and looked, you people almost look through them, you know? And so to recognize someone, to say hello to them, to, even if you're like, you know, I don't have anything for you, but I hope you're, I hope you're staying warm out here. Um, you know, like, I hope you have a great day. I, I think that goes a long way. And maybe, maybe the person's not in the mood to talk today, but you know, that's okay too. Um, so I, I think that's hugely important. That's the, that's the heart side of me. Um, but, but then also, I mean, there's always, there's always room to donate blankets, to donate socks, to donate hand warmers. I mean, you can probably um, give those to any hope, uh, homeless shelter in central Ohio. Um, the open shelter does a great job uh, downtown. They actually aren't, aren't an overnight shelter, but they are a huge resource hub and gives out so many resources. Um, our program as well passes out donation and just tangible supplies um, to help people survive. Um, batteries, hand warmers, um, blankets, thermals, um, you know, under long underwear, things like that. Um, Great, great advice, but but yeah. I love where you started. You actually, <laughs> I've you made me cry a little, but because it's so simplistic, see them, see people. Yeah. yeah, don't don't treat them like they're invisible. They're not invisible. Right. They're people. Laura, we're and almost think, out of time, oh, but no, yes. give me. I know because we'll be on here all day and night, girl. <laughs> we we'll never get off. Give me. I know. I told you I'm a talker. <laughs> <laughs> give me your closing thoughts. Well, and and I just wanted to say that, you know, sometimes I think we shy away from communicating with people, especially on that street corner, because it makes us uncomfortable. And I think we should lean into that a little bit and go, yeah, this this is supposed to make me uncomfortable because it's wrong. It's 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 wrong that someone is, you know, out here. We we want we we have this innate um, understanding as humans that that no one should be homeless, that no one should be outside, that no one should shouldn't have access to healthcare or basic human needs. So uh, you know, lean into that discomfort a little bit, um, I think, and and recognize that that's why that exists. And maybe there is a tangible way you can help out. But if there's not a tangible way to do it, I think um, you know just smiling at someone, looking them in the eye, acknowledging that they exist and that they matter means more than 
throwing a dollar out the window any day. (laughs) I'm a huge believer in that. So, um, Lisa, just thank you for taking an interest in our program and for giving us this this time to be able to share about what we do and um, listening to me go on and on because I I just love what we do and love our program and believe it's such important work. So I, I thank you for the time to be able to share. Well, you're welcome. But seriously, um, this is, I have always had a heart for the homeless. And Mm -hmm. I think your advice just to see people acknowledge them, treat them like they're real, treat them like they're not invisible, (laughs) because they're not lean Mm -hmm. into the uncomfortableness, because it is about what doing what's right and and understanding Mm -hmm. what's wrong. Mm -hmm. Laura, thank you. Mm-hmm, Can't absolutely. wait to, to, to meet you in person, which I'm sure will happen <laughs> sooner than later. I hope so. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Keep after you it. Well. Um, listeners, we hope you enjoyed the program and learned some a little something along the way, like maybe how to deal with the homeless people um, and things that you can actually do to help the situation. Till next time, may the road rise to meet you. May the wind be forever at your back.